Welcome to Counterbalance Conversations, the program that enables and encourages you to make the changes you need to make a true difference in our world. Your host is Dr. Melissa L. Strasser. Our hope is that by hearing from people who have stood out and made a positive change in their community, their lives, and their world, you'll feel the need to do the same. Now, here is Dr. Melissa L. Strasser. Hello and welcome to Counterbalance Conversations. If you this is your first time here, welcome. If you're returning, thank you so much for continuing to support the show. Today we are joined by Dr. Randall Bell. He is a sociologist and economist who specializes in disaster recovery projects. He's no stranger to how harsh the world is. Dr. Bell has consulted in more, tra- more tragedies around the world than anyone. He was retained for the World Trade Center, Flight 93, Sandy Hook, BP oil spill, Hurricane Katrina, the Bikini Atoll nuclear test sites, the BP oil spill, the Northridge earthquake, O.J. Simpson, JonBenet Ramsey, Heaven's Gate, and hundreds of other cases. He has been retained by the federal governments of the United States, Canada, and Australia, to help resolve numerous crisis, crises, and his work has generated billions of dollars to rebuild damaged communities. Dr. Bell's investigations have taken him to 50 states and seven continents. Having met with countless victims, he earned the name of Master of Disaster. In every case, Dr. Bell observed the emotional consequences and how some fared better than others. He was inspired to put his unique research skills to work and study the cycle of trauma. A frequent guest to, of the media, Dr. Bell is featured it, the featured expert in Topics Distressed Real Estate documentary series directed by Jason Stefanik. His career has been profiled on NBC's Today Show, Rolling Stone Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, People Magazine, ABC's 2020, Hallmark's Home and Family, and many others. Dr. Bell is the author of Me, We, Do, Be, and the founder of Core IQ, a nonprofit educational foundation that provides free online training of life skills. He is certified through the Insight Prison Project to facilitate group discussions with victims and offenders at San Quentin Prison. He's been an active He has been active in jail ministries and a volunteer in homeless shelters. His newest book, Post-Traumatic Thriving, Dr. Bell lays out the academic research and speaks freely about his trauma of being born with a congenital heart defect. Diagnosed with PTSD, he utilized these principles to heal from his childhood trauma and summit Africa's Mount Kilimanjaro at 60. Wow, that is really amazing. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today, Dr. Bell. Well, Melissa, just just call me Randall if you like. Yeah. But, uh, thanks. And, and my wife listens to all that. She says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just take out the trash. So <laughs> <laughs> we're, all, we're all in this together. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So how are you doing today? I know that you've been traveling the last uh, at least few days. Uh, yeah, I, I just hit LAX. So from all that, I, I'm doing great. It's, it's an honor to be with you and talk about these important topics. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So with such an extraordinary journey um, and so much experience under your belt, I, I know this doesn't 
compare to what you could tell us, the stories that you could tell us from your story. So why don't you, in your own words, kind of give me a little bit and the audience some perspective about your story and your background? Well, I'm I'm just an ordinary guy. I was, I was born in uh, Southern California, a little town called Fullerton. And you know, Fullerton is just immediately north of Disneyland. So for those who have been to Disneyland, where you can literally see Disneyland from my parents' Uh, my childhood home from the front porch. and um, But I was born with a congenital heart defect and I had open heart surgery when I was 11. So that's, you know, that was my own kind of, I started off life with a trauma. You know, I didn't even get the typical 10 or 20 years before having something hit me. I, I was born with it. But uh, right. but yeah, I um, and I kind of accidentally got into this career about 30 years ago where I studied as an economist, I studied disasters it wasn't something I really deliberately got into. It just kind of, the pieces kind of came together where that's what happened. And then Melissa, I started meeting the people behind the statistics. You know, the, you hear these headlines, but behind those headlines, behind the statistics are real people, you know, that are mm-hmm. working through all this stuff. And I found that they and their stories uh, and their journeys were far more interesting than, than calculating the numbers. I've become friends with a number of them and given this whole unique experience, I thought hey, it's really essential to document this because the information I learned was learning from these these folks was very valuable. And uh, I wanted to make it available to whoever was was interested in it. Fantastic. And we appreciate it because having been through, we talked about it uh, before the show, having been through Hurricane Michael um, about three years ago and um as a thriver, I, I have a new ta- a new term for myself after um, after reading your book. A thriver after uh, domestic violence and a hurricane um, trauma. It's really an interesting um, process that happens when individuals do it have a trauma that happens in their life. But before we kind of jump into that piece. Um, I know there are six different types of traumas that people can experience. Um, uh, one of them being um, natural disaster, things that were not um, their fault, something that actually happened to them, like a uh, medical or something like that. Yeah. What are the other ones? I, I don't have them memorized. But that's okay. That's okay. I'm sorry. That's no, okay. Uh, no, there's all kinds of things. There's the natural disasters. There's there's domestic violence. There's there's a medical condition. I, I kind of sum them up in the book as the difficult Ds. There's death, disease, disasters, divorce. Yes. Uh, there's there's a whole bunch. Yes, yes, and um, so a lot of people now in today's society don't think of things as traumatic uh, when they happen. They're just like, this is just something that's happened. Um, and then they start having some, some challenges um, that result from their trauma, um, and or they stuff down their unresolved trauma. Mm-hmm. So what is what was you ha- took a pretty strong stance on the unresolved trauma um, in the book and how that impacts you long term, and yeah. through your observations. Yeah, it's my strong opinion that unresolved trauma is the number one problem in humanity on the planet. Uh, you know, you hear about mass incarceration or your drugs and alcohol addiction and workaholism. Uh, there's all kinds of things. 
that people get involved with to kind of mask the pain from the real problem. And that, uh, that real problem is unresolved trauma, uh, particularly <laughs> childhood trauma. If we could really address that, not just in life, but in the workplace, uh, workplace pro productivity would go up, quality of life would go up, crime would go down, uh, alcoholism would go down, DUIs, all, all the things you read about in the evening paper that are just uh, kind of depressing, we would turn the dial down. I, I almost think society though sometimes likes trauma, likes drama because some sure. people think that harmony is boring, but I think we need, uh, things have gotten so polarized in so many ways, not just politics, that if we kind of address the real problem uh, unresolved mm -hmm. trauma, things will kind of calm down and get healthier. Absolutely. And with the um, with COVID, the trauma that's happening, the collective trauma that's happening globally, we were talking a little bit about this uh, just before the show started. But um, this, what are you seeing from individuals that you're talking to or just general observations uh, with your background of experience? What are you feeling like is going to be our, our couple of things that we need to be looking for? Well, COVID's a big deal, obviously, for so many reasons. I got COVID uh, in January and I was knocked out for four or five months. I mean, mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it was pretty rough in my particular case. My kids got it and they bounced back two days later. But, mm -hmm. but I think that there's a lot of kind of you know, we already have a, prior to COVID, we already had a complex society where the threshold, you know, to, to make ends meet and everything else, all the all the layers of things going on, mm -hmm. it was already pretty uh, stressed out. And then trauma yeah. just really delivered a knockout blow in a lot of, a lot of ways um, in, the, in terms of the economy, in terms of mental health, that kids aren't out playing with other kids. I mean, it's systemic, it's throughout society. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a problem. What I've kind of observed is that whether you're talking about what's going on in Washington, D.C. or in our own homes and everywhere in between, there seems to be more and more polarization where mm -hmm. somebody says something kind of ridiculous and the other side says something even more ridiculous. And the other side, not to be outdone, you know, takes it a step further. And, and you know, we're just at these polar opposites um, which are which are kind of entertaining in a way because they're both just so, you know, insane. But mm -hmm. we really need to back off this insanity and and cooperate because that's how we've gotten through prior problems. You know, World War II. You know, our communities came together. Um, all kinds mm -hmm. of uh, horrific things that the society's been through. We can survive them and we can even thrive. That's what this book is really about. Is is not post-traumatic survival, it's post-traumatic thriving. And, uh, but we got to first pull back off the extremes and, and look for ways to cooperate. Uh, again, you know, it's not so great for Jerry Springer's ratings, you know, when, when mm -hmm. people stop throwing furniture, but uh, we can progress and, and uh, solve some problems if we take that approach. Right. And so t tell the audience a little bit about the difference between surviving and thriving, because in your book, you have kind of a three, three levels um, yeah. of recovery. I call it recovery, uh, three levels of recovery from um, trauma. And you start with the dive, which is obviously that first round or that first, you know, um, one, two punch of whatever happens to you. 
uh, mm-hmm. and going through that. And then you get into survival. Is that correct? Yeah, the book, you're exactly right. Uh, the book starts out with the dive stage, and that's really explains the five, um, you know, elements of grief and the, mm-hmm. the shock, the denial, the anger, and all of the bargaining. People normally land on depression. Through the whole dive approach, I really, the, the, my strong uh, suggestions are don't try and jump ahead to the happy chapters towards the end of the, we'll get there. Uh, right. But, you know, process each one of those phases. It's really important to understand that what emotions happen when we go through shock and denial and anger, those are all healthy, normal things. It's important to understand the physiology of them all, what's going mm-hmm. on in terms of our brain chemistry, what neurotransmitters and endorphins are being secreted to make us feel that way or that or the other way. Uh, so we start with dive and then survive is where we get back on our feet. That's just kind of, you know, reclaiming the life that we had or some, some new, uh, you know, modified version of it or nuanced version of it. But the book is really focused on, okay, once we get knocked down, once we get back on our feet, how do we tap into that energy? Because, you know, let's face it, traumas create enormous energy. How do we tap into that and use it as fuel to do something really remarkable? So what I've done is I've kind of married both the science, you know, I've been through countless books and articles, you know, in terms of the science of uh, peak performance and thriving coupled with the energy of a trauma. And I followed also the stories of a number of people that I've met through the years in, the, in terms of my work and everything else uh, and, and, and watched how they got knocked down. And, and these folks shared their story and how they not only survived, but they're doing something that they never would have done before. Uh, that in some cases, many cases are just absolutely, you know, knock your socks off. Mm-hmm. you know, phenomenally successful. Well, how did they do it? Well, I there's 15 chapters, five, you know, dive, survive, and thrive. And we go right through the process of how they went from being knocked down to doing something, you know, in, absolutely insanely incredible. Yes, there was one quote out of the book that really, um, I, I think, resonated with me. And it says in the uh It says, as we heal, we will learn to take our hurts, fears, and pains and do something worthwhile with them. Society demonizes the negative when we should see trauma for what it can be, a remarkable way to fuel our dreams. And that was so um, on point uh, with exactly what you're talking about. So in the thriving phase, I, I know that you've, and you did, you mentioned you went through all the stories of the individuals. Uh, one of them was Leo Fender. Yeah. I mean, you had some amazing stories. So you told your story, Leo Fender, and then you had three or four, uh, I think five other individuals, if I remember correctly, that you had told their story at each phase. So you had an example in the book of each uh, of the individuals and how they navigated that uh, section. Yeah. Yeah. And Leo Fender is, is he's the guy, for those who don't know, uh, uh, he's, he's the guy that invented the electric guitar. So when you see Jimi Hendrix or you see Jeff Beck or you see the Rolling Stones or you see Willie Nelson, they are, you know, usually playing a Fender guitar, sometimes a Gibson. Uh, but it's, uh, 
it's today it's a billion dollar industry but mm-hmm. leo fender a lot of people don't realize that he was born in a barn right uh, right we're very close to where i grew up in fullerton uh he had a his eye out with an accident with a picket fence when he was about eight years old so that's not a fun way for a kid to go through you know life wanting to play sports and everything else but you can't because you're you've only got one good eye and half mm-hmm. blind and then later on, um, speaking of layers of trauma, he uh, was working in his radio shop. He had an amplifier. He had his head in the speaker cabinet, and somebody flipped the switch on, and it um, it went off and, and blew his hearing out. So he couldn't hear anything without hearing aids, um, and even then, he couldn't hear much. So here he is, half blind um, and largely deaf, and um, and yet he created a company that's just phenomenally successful and iconic. I mean, how many things that were invented in the 1940s are hanging on people's walls today is, you know, basically artwork. Uh, but he did it because he channeled all that energy and and uh, and so forth in, in productive ways. And we follow his story right through, mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing. And, and his wife shared uh, her, his story with me. So we, you know, it's a lot of intimate details of what he actually did in terms of daily habits and attitudes and routines that they, that got that kind of result. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this was a very impactful story for you because it leads into, I think, um, my impression was into a hobby for you as well. Uh, and well a bit yeah, of a passion I, <laughs> for you, a little bit of a passion for yourself as well. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I've been collecting guitar. I played in a band in high school. I had everything. Mm-hmm. I had the uh, guitars. I had the opportunity. I had friends in school that are uh, wildly successful musicians today. And I had the hair. I had everything, but I didn't, I didn't have the talent. <laughs> I, you know, my musical <laughs> talent is a gift that I really envy, but, um, and I respect those that have it, but I had to acknowledge that I, uh, you know, I got to a certain level, it got pretty good, but you know, to break through to the, the big time that, that takes a special gift, but I, I do collect guitars. I just got a, a back from Nashville. I got uh, for those country Western fans, I got Buck Owens original uh, Fender Telecaster uh, to add to the Leo Fender exhibit. And we're going to start putting it in museums next year. So that's that one of my, uh, my fun things. Yeah. That is fun. So, um, for the post-traumatic thriving book, is there anything else that you would like to share before we kind of, I would like to look at some of the other or talk about some of your other ventures that you have going on as well, since we have a, a pretty good amount of time today, unless there's something you would like to kind of delve more into with post-traumatic thriving. Well, or yeah, in. yeah, there's some, some key points I, I, I would really I'm not, I didn't write, first of all, it took me 10 years to write this book. It's not something I just kind of whipped through, you know, today with, with voice recognition and word processing, you know, somebody can write a book in a week. It's just, you know, and and a lot of people do it, not a lot of thought and design what goes into some of these things, but um, for better or for worse, you know, people can decide how how good the book is for themselves, but um, 10 years of research went into it, you know, where, where I talk about the techniques and so forth uh, for for post traumatic thriving, and then the book coincidentally coincidentally came out when COVID was going on, which, as I mentioned, kind of knocked me mm-hmm. out. Um, but I'm not doing this. It's not a money, you know, making venture. It's more a passion because yes. I feel like 
I feel like the number one problem facing society is unresolved trauma. If we can, if we can address that at some level, we may or may not make the world a better place, but we'll make our world a better place. So that's really kind of my desire. Uh, the, I put the the book is on uh, Amazon uh, for ninety nine cents for the Kindle version. Yes, the, because I just wanted to get out there and become accessible. And I get I get a lot of feedback from the book. And and I think that this research is is paying off because people are reporting back that, hey, my husband and I read, have read it twice and we're just getting better and better. Uh, so that's pretty, pretty gratifying to hear. Um, so I would just encourage people to just get a copy. It's 99 cents. The first chapter I lay out some principles that will get you healing right away. Again, mm-hmm. there's studies out of Harvard University that back up what I'm saying. But I try to bring it alive with stories like Leo Fender and other people um, that really, really uh, hopefully helps out. So that's kind of the big picture with the book. Yeah, and I, I really love that you had you do give initially some really fantastic healing um, options. So one of the and a lot of them are holistic healing options. So mm-hmm. one that was uh, it was you don't heal alone. Yeah. So that's reaching out and really engaging the community around you, whether it be a therapist, a friend, or someone, um, someone close to you. <clears throat> and yeah. then you also talked about grounding. <coughs> Excuse me. You also talked about grounding, and you talked about um, engaging in those those activities that are creative. And something that will allow you to, um, so whether it be journal, art, or something of that nature. Yeah, the, um, the, the trauma recovery is not a solo exercise. You can't do it, you know, generally speaking, you, it's tough, if not impossible, to do it alone. You've got to, um, you've got to reach out and accept help. Uh, there are plenty mm-hmm. of people with these disaster sites that I go to, you know, which are some of them are just off the chart. I mean, they're beyond any movie set you'd ever see in Hollywood in terms of what, what's really going on there. But what's always amazing is is the multitudes of people that come out to try and help, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's scooping mud out of people's houses, you know, whatever it is, um, there's there's. You know, you, you know, some of the bad guys get some media from doing bad things, but uh, you know, as society as a whole has a lot of wonderful people that are trying to help. So, you know, accept that help is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Um, the classic, the classic mistake, which frankly I made with my own trauma, was you know, something bad happens. It's embarrassing. It's ugly. You know, what what little boy in my case wants to you know grow up and have open heart surgery while all the rest of the kids are at the beach? You know, that that was uh, no fun. But I stuffed it down. I didn't talk about it, which is the quintessential mistake that people make. I made it myself. You bury it inside. When you do that, you start kind of an internal war. You get the high blood pressure issues, all, all the you know, all the stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I accept the help. And we there's really two principles right off the bat. One is sit in the fire, find somebody to talk about it. Um, whether they can help it or, or help anything or not, doesn't really matter. The fact that you express it and kind of talk about it in and of itself is very, very healing. And the other one is grounding deep breathing exercises, whether you call it Lamaze or yoga or meditation, doesn't matter what you call it. Um, but deep breathing exercises, the, st- the studies out of um, 
from uh, uh, Sarah Lazar out of uh, Harvard Medical School. She actually mm-hmm. does brain scans to show the, the uh, phenomenal amount of healing that happens from just a uh, ritual of, of, if you want to call it that, twice a day of sitting down quietly and breathing deeply. And I explain it all that in the book. It's simple, but it's it's got real benefits. And just with those two things, grounding and sitting in the fire, I've seen people go through horrible traumas and and heal and grow. Uh, and in the book, there's more techniques. Um, they're simple. They're not difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't cost anything. But if we do them, they can they can just turn everything around over time. Yes, because it's also, um, you know, PTSD or the trauma from a neurological standpoint, from what I'm understanding in the book, really changes your brain. Oh, yeah. It makes significant changes to your brain, and it never 100% goes away, if I remember correctly. Well, it, it uh, you know, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, but I do know it can get very significantly better where, where you can... You can uh, you know, move past it. The what a lot of people don't realize is that that we we don't have one brain. We have three brains. There's the inner brain, which is called oftentimes the reptilian brain. It's the instincts, and uh, then the midbrain is the mammal brain, where you feel emotions, and then the outer brain is what makes us distinctly human, where we have mm-hmm. you know, distinct uh, abilities for logic and having empathy on the other side of the world for people we never met. That's a distinctly human characteristic. And when you're going through your day and everything's normal and everything's fine, you're thinking mostly with your human brain. And then you go and get in your car to go to the grocery store and you get in an accident. Well, the 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 um, outer human brain turns off and the inner reptilian brain, which is all about survival and instinct, that turns on. So the whole all your all our memories and and everything is being governed by a brain that we're not typically using a lot. And that's Mm -hmm. why there's all these memory problems in the aftermath of trauma. So the book is about kind of identifying this and and explaining how going through these processes uh, gets it out of this instinct where we hear a song that triggers us, or we hear a car backfire that sounds like a gun and we, you know, freak out. Um, How we rewire the brain back into the human brain where the memories of the trauma are still there, but they don't cause any harm as they, as the memories kind of pass along. That's, that's the big picture of, of trauma recovery. Yes. And it's, um, so we've got just about two minutes until uh, we go to our first break. And um, so are there any hallmarks of um a couple of questions real quickly. Did you re-experience uh, any of your trauma when you um, had COVID, like any of the anxiety around it? And are there any hallmarks that people should be looking for? Oh, yeah. I had huge, huge uh, uh, issues. You know, I, my, I went to the doctor and I got, pres- I won't bore you with my medical history, but sure. high blood pressure and all that. I, I was prescribed five medicines and uh, I thought I'd I just... I'm all for Western medicine, but it was just overwhelming. I thought, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to change my diet. I already exercise as an exercise more. In the process, I got off all the meds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, my great. blood sugar levels are, are normal. Uh, COVID's a weird disease where it attacks all kinds of vulnerable. Wherever there's vulnerability, it's going to go there. Um, mm-hmm. 
So yeah, it uh, and I had to read reread my own book because I had to survive and get back on my feet from this this whole uh, mess. Sure, um, I'm gonna step us into our first break if you don't mind, and then when we come back, uh, we'll continue talking about um, um, post traumatic thriving, and we will also then maybe step into talking about um, core IQ. And some of the other things that um, that you're doing that's really amazing that relates to this that I think will put in a lot of fantastic um, um, connections for people. Okay. Sounds great. So we'll come right. We'll go to break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Counterbalance Conversations with Dr. Melissa L. Strasser. Find out more about Dr. Melissa by visiting drmelissalstrasser.com. Now back to the show. Welcome out to Counterbalance Conversations. We're here with Dr. Randall Bell. We're talking about his book, Post Traumatic Thriving. And um, we're going to write... during the break, we decided we're going to kind of move into some of the other projects that you have going on and some of the other initiatives and things that you're doing, because you do a lot of volunteering uh, at San Quentin Prison, and you do some projects with them. And I know that really is a passion project for you as well. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? And um, I know you had in the book a uh, a list of things that came out of that a list of insights, which I said, yeah, those are great things to live by. So why don't yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Well, sure. I, you know, the book is, 
uh, packed with wisdom. And I don't say that that's no reflection on me. It's, it's more, I, I, I work hard to give credit where it's due. And I learned profound truths and wisdom from the inmates in San Quentin prison, because I'd never been in prison before. And, uh, I was sitting on a plane going on a business trip. I think I was going through Phoenix to South Dakota of all places and on a little plane. And uh, I was just sitting there in my seat and I uh, look up and there's this guy saying, Hey, are you Randall Bell? And I go, yeah, are you? And I, I recognized I hadn't seen him in 15 years as an old buddy. And uh, so he said, he happened to be sitting right next to me. And uh, he told me about this inside prison project and going into the, uh, the, the, the prison system and the remarkable turnarounds where these inmates would walk in all macho and denying that they had done it, you know, professing their innocence. And, you know, they were, you know, trying to fake being innocent and just the whole thing that this kind of stereotypical and it didn't happen overnight, but there's this program inside prison project where over two years um, and there's a long waiting list to get into it. It was so successful. Uh, the for the most part, not always, but for over ninety percent of the time, these inmates would transition into just the the most respectful gentleman, uh, introspective, polite. Would would not have had just a genuine you know change of heart, and um, I, I was fascinated, and I think he could see that. So he invited me to go into prison. The first time I ever went, you know, into San Quentin, I was honestly, it was pretty intimidating. It was kind of nerve wracking. I went in and it was just, you know, the clanking metal guard gates and the cages where you go in and the searching and, and all of that. And then you're, you go into the, you push over this, open this big steel door and you're in this concrete courtyard and there you are in prison. And you look to the left and there's California's death row. I mean, this is, this wow. is the whole deal. And, uh, then you go to the right and you're in this little concrete uh, room and all the inmates came in and I was, I, I, you know, I was kind of mixed emotions to put it nicely. And, uh, and we all sat in a circle and I just started quickly realizing that while these guys were big and muscular, they were just gentlemen. And uh, the first time I ever meditated in my life um, or would call it grounding, uh, with the deep breathing exercises, I learned I was sitting between two convicted murders and where I learned how to, you know, do these, these grounding exercises. And, and it felt so great that I started, you know, I kept kind of doing it when I got home. And um, anyway, I, to cut to the chase, there's a guy I met up in San Quentin. His story's in the book. His name's JC. He had a complete change of heart, uh, was paroled after 22 years he happened to uh, be in, in Fullerton, where I'm from. He's going to Cal State Fullerton. I just went to his college graduation. Let me tell you something. He's married, has a beautiful kid. He just graduated with honors. And I just had breakfast with him about a week ago. And he's going to finish his master's degree in May. And then he's going on for his PhD. That's the power. That's post-traumatic thriving. Where as a young man, he went through horrific foster care and abuse and all kinds of horrible stories. And yet the principles we talk about in this book are so profound that and so effective that he's transitioned from, from this horrible uh, crime he committed and everything else to being, I would love to have JC as my next door neighbor. He's that kind of quality guy. Uh, doing amazing things. He's also, despite this heavy school load and working 
um, full time. Uh, he's a community volunteer where he gets these kids to turn their lives around. This guy's just wow. amazing. So the stuff really works. Wow, this is fan, and it's a very simple. Even though the process looks simple when you're reading through the book, the the hard work is the inner work, right? And that sounds like a lot of the gentlemen that you were working with are, are were doing some of that work. And there was, um, as you said, a waiting list for your program. Um, there's a gentleman that does something very similar here in Florida uh, for one of our prisons. He's a yogi who goes in and teaches once a week. He teaches yoga and he mentors some of um, the individuals in the um, the jail here, in the prison here. And it's such a an effective program and it's really his way of giving back. That's really his passion project as well. Yeah. Um, he's a good friend and he comes out with many of the same stories that you do. I think maybe you just have kind of a broader audience for yours. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, quantity-wise. Yeah, it, it's very powerful. And, you know, I, I grew up and went to church every Sunday, and I'm not, I'm not uh, disparaging that experience at all. But I'll tell you, if you want a real spiritual experience, see somebody who's really been knocked down hard and mm -hmm. see them do the work that's necessary to turn their lives around. One guy mm -hmm. came up to me in prison. Uh, it was a, just a life-altering comment. He says, you know what? What I did as a crime was was beyond uh, words, horrible. But I have committed to living a good and honorable life, even though the rest of my life will be in prison. I mean, that that is the power of these the principles we're talking about, where people have wow. a genuine change of heart and um, and take responsibility for for what they did. Uh, we need yes. more of that. To, some of our politicians, honestly, can take a lesson. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not getting political, but taking yes. responsibility uh, and having a change of heart, we, we need to see more of that stuff. Absolutely. And I think I think we're seeing that through some of the COVID experiences. Um, the people, you know, like you said, you had it was it knocked you down and not COVID did. And the same thing happened with me um, in 2019. I had COVID and it took me this whole year to kind of get back to the point where I was, you know, at 90%. Yeah. You know, I'm still working through it. So I understand exactly what you were saying. And I think a lot of people are getting a reality check of how is my life um now, how do I want to make it better? What do I need to do? What do I need to change? And that kind of drives me into the next thing I wanted to talk about. And we talked a little bit about this prior to the show is as we go, as you're going into the organizations and we talked a little bit at the beginning of the show about what you're seeing in the world with the post pandemic. Well, it's not exactly post yet, but we're getting closer to that. There are some mitigations in place and places are opening back up. Florida is open um, and a little f uh, freer than it has been in a while. Um, but people are coming back to the workplace with some trauma attached from um, just the shutdowns in itself or the pandemic itself. They've also had some changes of hearts. We're hearing about the great resignation and people looking at their lives and making wanting to make changes. 
Um, I know that you have a program, um, a book called Me, We, Do, Be, and a model uh, that also um, goes into Core IQ, which is your nonprofit. Do you want mm-hmm. to talk a little bit about that program? Because I think it dovetails nicely into post-traumatic thriving. I think there's a hand-to-hand, it's like a handshake of these uh, programs. Well, yeah, the, the concepts have definitely a theme. Uh, the I'll tell you what Core IQ is. is uh, I, well, the, the backstory is I was a managing director of Pricewaterhouse, and uh, then we merged with Coopers and became PricewaterhouseCoopers which was the largest, is still is, as far as I know, uh, the largest consulting firm in the world. And mm-hmm. I was hiring all kinds of really smart people, but that came with a variety of problems. Like there was one guy who had terrible table manners, and there were, but he was a brilliant guy and a very likable guy. And there was another guy who, um, you know, was always late and tardy. He needed time management. There was another guy that just kind of lacked um, – kind of lacked, uh, you know, kind of a vision and goal setting. And mm-hmm. so we would, I, I went to one of the partners, I said, hey, you know, who around here being the world's largest consulting firm, who can teach time management or or etic- business etiquette, all these things. And he, he just said, I don't know, you know, just, you know, whatever. And so I hired these experts to come in and it was $15,000 a day to teach everybody time management skills. I thought, Wait a minute. This a this is not that complicated. And and B, I want my own kids to know this stuff uh, because it's not just for executives on the top floor. It's for everyone. So right. when I left the firm, um, I started Core IQ to make these skill sets available to everyone, no charge. You can watch a video on time management, one on business etiquette, you know, uh, negotiation skills conflict resolution, negotiation. These are all really important life skills. And they're, you know, it doesn't matter where anyone is around the world. They can get on the internet, no charge, no credit card. No, you don't have to even put it in your email. It's, it's just, here's the information. And uh, it, it turns things around. You know, we've gotten some great feedback on that, particularly from moms. <laughs> right. Who, who want their kids to know this stuff. It's not being taught in school. So there has to be some avenue for them to receive it. Because I think when we were in school, um, you know, I had the option. I had the option go take business classes, which the business classes taught uh, time management, negotiation, you know, and all the different skill sets. Right. Yeah. Financial education. Yeah. And they need to be. They really need to be. These are essential life skills. And, uh, you know, I, I have never used my geometry much or my, you know, I use some algebra, but, you know, I've never used my chemistry background from right. uh, from high school, but I could have used some of these other skills, I can tell you. Absolutely. And I think that is, it, that was such an amazing product whenever I, you know, opened it up and I was doing research for our interview. And I said, wow, this is a super comprehensive. It has you know, it kind of checks all the box, all the things that, you know, whenever I had kids, I was like, oh, if I'd have had that, I would have been like, hey, here, (laughs) you need to do all of these before you leave the house or before you even go into high school, I think. Yeah. So I think that's a fantastic product. And then um, I think it's good for anyone, not just teenagers. So it really spans 
you know, throughout your career as well. I, I think I think you're right. And uh, and it, there's a lot of uh, uh, depth to the topics like I was uh, I got a call once from a medical doctor. He ran the uh, addiction recovery program at Hogue Hospital, which in Southern California is a big deal. That's uh, in Newport Beach. And it's a big, uh, prominent, prestigious hospital. Well, he volunteered his time. He says, I, I got this information and every kid needs to know you know, these fundamentals about drug addiction and, you know, what to do and, and, you know, just the whole concept. And so, yeah, we, he came in and we filmed an episode. So we got some of the top experts in the world. I I don't do any of these episodes by myself. I always invite, we have Tanya Brown, the sister, Nicole Brown Simpson, talking about domestic violence, how particularly young women should recognize and stay away from, from uh, these kind of frankly predators out there. Um, these are life skills I want my daughter to know. Um, yes. So I, uh, every episode is filmed with a top expert that really knows what they're talking about. I'm not the expert. I'm asking. I'm just asking questions. Uh, you know, right. as a as a as a dad uh, that any dad would want to know uh, from these experts or as a parent. So it's it's good stuff. Right. Yeah. And it's I can't wait till you delve a little bit deeper into it. Um, on my own for my own, you know, personal development. Um, so with core IQ, you also have a book called me. We do be. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a model. It looks like a model that you create. I don't know if you created it, but it looked like you had created it and you developed Hmm. it. Um, it looked like maybe for your consulting, Clients yeah, I, yeah. I actually general. earn money to go to college by writing business plans and, and strategic plans. And, yeah. and, uh, and so this is a real simple kind of life strategy plan. Me, we do be. Me is our mindset, my attitudes, our, your atti- you know, our individual attitudes and habits. Uh, we is our connection with other people, how to connect with people, how to more importantly connect with the right people. Um and build relationships, and then do is how to you know take on a job, how to how to be productive, how to make money, uh, taking care of uh, you know physical health, you know all the do stuff, our do checklist kind of thing, and then B is what we're becoming. That's where we create a legacy and and hopefully you know make make the plan a little bit better. So me we do B is is basically taking strategic planning concepts. And making it accessible to everyone in a in a in a way that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And in that book, I I uh, I mean that that's the book that was profiled when I was on um, the uh, NBC's Today Show in New York, and then I was on the Hallmark Channel, which was filmed at the Universal Studios uh, a couple times. I mean, it's gotten big national media. Once I came in the office here, yeah. and my PR person says, "Oh, you know what? You're on ESPN. Uh, some NFL star read your book." And he's talking all about one of the chapters I talked about, you know, making your bed and how that puts you in a productive mindset. And I surveyed over 5,000 people all over the world and correlated daily habits with various measures of success, whether it's being making money or, or other ways of actually, you know, better measures of success. And I showed the statistical correlation and it's very powerful. I even got my kid who was like uh, 
uh, my son was uh, like seven years old. He, he read it and he started making his bet because he saw the That's correlation <laughs> to making a lot of money. So this yes. stuff, it, it, it's kind of fun, but but the it's it, it's powerful principles that, that you know again very simple that really work. Yes, and some of the interviews I did uh, watch a few of those about the um, the principles, and you really do um, make some correlations between salary ranges, success graduation rates. I, th I think it was graduation rates that were associated with this as well. Yeah. And so um, that was very interesting um, from a perspective of somebody who, you know, kind of followed the rules and did all the things. And I said, oh, I was set up for success. Who knew from the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, as we are, is there anything else that you have coming up or that you are working on right now that you would like to um, to really bring into the interview? Because I have, I have a lot of questions around the uh, post-traumatic thriving, but I wanted to make sure that you had time to talk about anything that you really wanted to drive home to the audience since you do have a captive audience. Well, the... I think the only thing I'd like to add is, you know, we've talked about me, we do being strategy and, and in terms of my B cornerstone, I'm 62 years old. So I'm kind of in that, you know, phase where I'm thinking, how could I make some kind of contribution? And I think, I think we all need heroes, at least certainly I do. And growing up in Orange County, California, where I um, not only grew up, I, I'm still here. Um, you know, with Leo Fender, I mentioned Leo Fender as a post-traumatic thriver. I think he's just an iconic kind of person who is creative, wonderfully creative, um, never materialistic. He was he lived very simply and humbly for considering the, the massive amounts of wealth he, he built up. He gave enormous amounts of money to the community. But um, I've started a Leo Fender collection. It's going to actually go into a museum next year and you know, start touring around the country where people can not only enjoy the guitars, but get to know what really kind of drove him. And then I have another uh, uh, museum collection that's going to go out next year as, as well. It's all been delayed from COVID, but we're busting through that. Uh, I have a Houdini collection. Houdini was a wildly successful entertainer, but he had a formula. He had he had the stuff that we're talking about. He had certain daily habits and attitudes that really, you mm -hmm. know, launched him into he's the probably the one or two single household names we still have today from somebody that, you know, that was an entertainer in the turn of the century. A lot of other entertainers, we have no idea who they are. But Houdini had mm -hmm. a lasting legacy and there is a reason why. So those are a couple projects I'm kind of up to to kind of to to kind of educate all of us to, to these concepts and principles. I, I find it very interesting how you've taken your, um, your passion project of post-traumatic thriving, core IQ, and you have really integrated all of the pieces into even your hobbies and your, it sounds like your daily life. And that is something I think a lot of people are struggling with. Is there a secret to that for you? It's no secret. I mean, I, I tell anyone that wants to hear and and uh, and that is you need to be relentless. You know, you've got there's certain rules that just apply. And and, you know, a lot of people or some people, you know, they get to the end of their lives and they, they think the rules don't apply to them and they don't have much to show for it. 
at the end. I don't, I, I think that's a tragedy. That's one of, the, one of the biggest tragedies on the planet we could imagine is, is to, uh, you know, get to the end of the line and say, I didn't really do much. Um, I certainly don't want that to happen to me. And the secret is, is pay attention to people that we really look up to. I mean, I've studied Walt Disney. Um, yeah, I've studied Leo Fender. I've studied Houdini. I studied, I, I just last night had dinner with uh, Jerry Jewell, who starred on uh, the ABC's Facts of Life TV show. I went to high school with Jerry. Her story's in the book. Um, how yeah. do you go, as Jerry did, she was born disabled with cerebral palsy, and she lands a starring role on network television. She's the first person in history to ever do that. And then she just starred on HBO's Deadwood. Um, you know, and... And I, she was kind enough to share her entire story, which I put into the book. So yes. I, I, Jerry's one of my heroes, um, and I'm fortunate to to know her. Um, mm-hmm. So these these kind of folks that do these things have have a certain theme where they they're they're wildly diverse in terms of their talents, whether we're TV stars or building guitars or building theme parks. But there's a core set of principles that apply across the board. We identify those and we'll reach our own potential. So I'm very passionate about identifying the heroes that I have in life and kind of and kind of adapting those core values. And there's no secret about them. They're in the book and, and I'm happy mm-hmm. to answer any questions about them. Yeah. So it's about setting those expectations for yourself and identifying what your values are and where it where it sits within you and mm-hmm. following that to the end of the line. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's incredible. And I think that is a fantastic, um, we're close to closing. I think that's a fantastic way for us to just kind of wrap up our interview. And I thank you so much for for being on Counterbalance Conversations and bringing your breadth of knowledge. And thank you for giving so much back to the communities that you're in and to the world with your um, core IQ and your knowledge and um, seeing what a lot of people probably look over during these traumatic events. And um, I'm grateful. I can tell you grateful. I'm grateful from my perspective as a thriver after the storm. Um, So for our listeners and those on Facebook, thank you so much for joining Counterbalance Conversations. We hope you enjoyed the conversations with the conversation with Dr. Randall Bell. And next week we will be joined by Shay McHugh from cyber, a cybersecurity professional from Scion Solutions. She's going to talk to us about managing risk with empathy If you would like to contact me, you can contact me on any of the links on Voice America host page, on Facebook and Instagram at Counterbalance Coach. And until next week, be well, be inspired, and be the counterbalance. Thank you for listening to Counterbalance Conversations. Be sure to join your host, Dr. Melissa L. Strasser, for another inspiring program next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next program, do something that stands out this week. Make a change. Be the counterbalance.